you know, um, I'm going to ask you a question. You can sit down, by the way, because then I'll be able to see the answer better. Uh, I want you to think carefully about this, because if you just give me an answer straight away, it'll be the acceptable answer. But do you want to live a life that counts? Do you want to live a life that counts? You know, when I was growing up, and I guess I still am growing up, it's just going that way now instead of that way. But, you know, when I was growing up, I, I kind of always have carried this sense that I would be involved in something that would make a difference in the place, that, in this, the, the nation I lived. And that's not unusual. You see, it's unusual for us not to feel that. And when we, we aren't feeling that in our hearts and inside, it's, it's because the enemy's done a job on us to make us lose hope. Because we are supposed to live with the sense that we were born to live a life that counts. Because God said, I planted eternity in your heart. He's given us this sense that, that, that our life is about something much bigger than we are. Much, much beyond this time period that we live in. And what we do here matters for eternity. And he's also said, I've, shed, I've, I've come to live in you by my Holy Spirit, and I've shed your, my love abroad in your hearts. And then Paul turns around and says, and it's the love of Christ that compels us. So as believers, there should be actually a compulsion pushing us, pushing us to, to live in a way that makes a difference. And I, I, I was pondering this again this week, and I still want to live my life in a way that makes a difference. That makes it, you know, that people, when, when I, I go to my, you know, shovel puts me in the ground and runs off with the insurance policy and that sort of stuff, I, 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 I want my, I don't just want a dash in the middle between two dates. If that's all our life is, a dash in the middle between two dates, it was worthless. Because, you know, we spend so long in our lives for, and we just have this crazy thing, well, I need to do this and I need to get that and I, and I need this house and I need this mortgage and I need this job and I need this and I need a car and then we want something else and then we want something else and we're saving like mad and worrying like mad that we won't have enough to to live our retirement and we, and we build up and we save for our retirement and we get to our retirement and that's when we can finally enjoy life because all that work that we've done all our lives and three years later we drop dead. And we spent all our life for retirement that is a tiny little thing. And, and that's a sad way of thinking we've got ourselves into, isn't it? You see, when I, I think about faith life, you know, the, the, the people who are here, I want my life to count for you. I want your lives to be different because of my, my existence, the fact that I was born. I don't want to live this just for me. You know, when I, I think about this, this message that we carry as a church, and and this, I think I believe God's stirring a passion in us 
that is laying dormant in many of us for a long time. And this message that we carry with our lives, I want that to count. And, and in this, this, this region, in this city we live in, in this region we live in, I want my life to count for this place. You know, I, 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 I went back up to the north uh, the last couple of days. And, I, and it was strange because I drove around a lot of the places that, that you know, that we lived for a long time. And I thought, this isn't my place anymore. It was like I was an alien. It's kind of, I can't believe I lived here. Because your heart gets invested and, and you want to make a difference to where you are. You see, here's the bottom line. God wants to raise up men and women in his church whose lives count for his glory. That's God's plan for this church. He wants to raise us up to live lives that count for his glory. And, and what does it look like to make your life count? And I'm, going to, I'm going to spend a couple of weeks on this, and it's the same passage, so we're only going to look at one passage. So for, for those of you like me to do expository preaching, this is, this is kind of where we, we're dwelling. We did three weeks on one passage, the last three weeks, and now we're going to do two, two weeks on this passage. So you're going to want to go to Philippians. And you're going to go to chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. I'm going to read those to you. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to keep on writing the same things to you is not tedious. But for you, it is safe. Now, listen to this. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. He's going to get himself banned from all sorts of places saying things like this. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in our flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I count lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Your, your versions will have all sorts of things for that word, the rubbish word, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I can lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. You know, Jesus laid hold of you for a purpose. We, we are called to press on to lay hold of that for ourselves. 
Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, let me, let me unpack that for you. What we have here is the Apostles Paul's re-evaluation of his life in comparison to the root core of Christianity. And his re-evaluation of what it means to live a life that counts, a life that makes a difference. Because he had one idea of what a life that makes a difference would look like, and now he's come to a different idea of what a life that makes a difference looks like. And as we, as we look at this passage, what we're going to do is we're going to encounter radical grace. We're going to encounter God's radical heart, and we're going to um, have, hopefully, a radical change in seeing what counts. Because if we're going to live a life that counts, we need to know what counts. Yeah? So, let's start here. If I, if we want, so, this is a statement I'm going to make. If you want your life to truly matter... What Paul is saying, it needs you to treasure Christ above everything this world has to offer. That's, that's what he's saying. He said, I've reevaluated things. I've had a look at what it means, all that stuff that I used to put my confidence in, all that stuff that I used to bother about, all the stuff I used to worry about, all the things that, that, that I based my life on, and I've looked at it in the light of Jesus, and I've reevaluated. And this re-evaluation tells me that the only thing that is important is that, that I treasure Christ above everything this world has to offer. And there's, there's his challenge to us, isn't it? Because, it's, well, I think it's his challenge to me. Do I treasure Christ above everything this world has to offer? Because Paul's saying, he's looked at everything. The Holy Spirit's kind of trained him and taught him and spoken to him. And he's concluded that that's what Christianity's about. He's concluded that what he did before didn't count. And that Christianity requires, in its fully developed form, that we treasure Christ above everything this world has to offer. That's quite a challenge, isn't it? But that's, that's the challenge of the ages. And, and what Paul's doing is, is, is dealing here with a challenge where you've got a bunch of people who are coming along and they're telling people that you need to add something to Jesus. To, to have a life that counts, you need to add some stuff to Jesus. And in this case, he's talking about circumcision. Now, just look at what he calls them. Because what, what these people are saying is that you need works of the law to make salvation effective. You can get... You can get on the path, but then you need to follow all these works of the law. And he's picking on one particular work. Now, what he's saying is that people who teach that are like dogs. Wild dogs who poo in the street right in front of you. Who are vicious. He's saying they're evil workers who teach this. And then he calls them mutilators of the flesh. 
In another passage, he says, well, why don't they go the whole hog and chuck the, chop the whole thing off? That's not me saying it, that's Paul. I, I wouldn't say something like that because Cheryl would be very annoyed with me. So I'd just like to point out that that was Paul who says this. Now, do you think the way he's doing this, do you think he thinks this matters? Because it's not polite, is it? But it is crucial. And we can't always be polite about what's crucial. So dogs, evil workers, mutilators of the flesh. It's kind of shocking, isn't it? Here's what is even more shocking. Paul turns around and says, that's who I was. That's exactly who I was. I was the dog. I was the evil worker. I was the mutilator of the flesh. And I was living a wasted life when I was. I was following all this religious stuff. I was getting it all right. And what I discovered was it didn't count. Paul's saying... And he goes on to say, there's three things he disregarded. And these, actually, these three things actually define the radical core of the gospel that he preaches. And the first one's this, that the new covenant is not a covenant of works, but is a spiritual covenant. And that means it works as a result of us being given a new heart with new desires. So rather than an outward conformity, what we're pursuing is an inward change. And the Holy Spirit lives in us to help us with that change. And, and so what we, what the, the way Jesus puts in, Paul, Paul talks about, is what we're really looking at is a life that worships Jesus as Lord from our spirit, not conforms to a set of religious principles. But we, we live, we, we, we have Jesus as his Lord and we worship him from spirit. So that's the first thing Paul says he's discovered. The second thing is this. When you discover that, you get joy. I get from that that although Paul thought he was absolutely amazing when he was a Pharisee and the best Pharisee who ever existed, he probably had this massive problem with pride, but he's got all this stuff and he said, I was really unhappy. I didn't have any joy. It wasn't fun being like that. It wasn't fun living this judgmental life where I compared myself with everybody else and I put everybody else down because they weren't as good as me. And, and it wasn't any fun. But Jesus has given me joy because I've got a new life. Because of what he's done for me. And the third thing he says is, this is the core of, of how he's moved on, is that he now has no confidence in the flesh. That's zero confidence in the flesh. Zero confidence in his own ability to live a life that counts as a result of his own efforts and his own talents. 
that he no longer bases his life on all the stuff that he's heard and all the things that the world's saying and all the, pe- all the things that people around him are saying. He no longer is going to base his life on that, but he's going to instead put his confidence in Jesus. Okay. Let's go to verse 4. So, radical principle. If we want to truly live a life that truly matters, we treasure Christ above everything this world has to offer. Let's just remind ourselves that. If we want to live a life that truly matters, we treasure Christ above everything this world has to offer. Now, when you, when you go and you look at these verses, you get to verse 4, and it says this, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I've got more. So what he's saying there is anyone, anywhere. If you think you're going to live a life that matters and a life that's pleasing to God by your own flesh, following your own desires, running after your own wants, chasing after all the things that you think is success and do it in a way the same way as the world does it, then I'm here to tell you, says Paul, that's wrong. I tried that. It doesn't work. It's a wasted life. And here's the thing. I don't, one of the worst things for, for a pastor, I think, is to see people wasting their lives. That you, you, you can stand here every week and, and, and talk and speak and, and share and try and communicate the, God, the things that God's shown you and you see people do nothing with it. And, you know, I've visited like several churches this week and, and it's sad because that's what really um, weighs heavy on pastors. When people do nothing with the gospel, they live this wasted life putting their energies into something that stops when they die. You see, the, the, the amazing thing about, I, I found is, you know, because now as you get nearer, I'm still some way off by the way, as you get nearer retirement, you, you get to this you know, I've seen it with people that I worked with. And you get to this place and you've got all this, this uh, investment you've put aside. You've, you've uh, sort of, uh, I, I don't know what the word is. Uh, you've kind of constrained yourself to get there. You've, you've worked hard to get there. And you get there and your health's no good. Because all of the stuff you did to get there has made you age and tired your body out. You know, the number of people now that I see who I worked with, who I was in partnership with, they did all that and they're dead. And I worked with them. And they're like five years older than me and they're dead. There's somebody, he died two days after he retired. And I remember, I remember, like, I worked really close with him and I remember he, 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 he was so excited because he'd say, you know, he'd, he'd He'd worked hard and he'd bought these five villas out in Spain and he was going to retire there and all his family was going to go there and all this sort of stuff. And he went to his five villas out in Spain 
And two days later, he had a heart attack and died. And it's worthless. Life does not stop when we die. Life goes on forever in eternity. So what Paul is saying is you have to live a life that counts, not just now, but counts in eternity too. And so here we come. And what he's saying is this. He's saying, I have these advantages. These are the things that I put my store in. And he's saying, these are the things I want you to realize are the badges of a wasted life. You think these are things that are desirable, and Paul is saying these are things that are the badges of a wasted life. The first thing is this, status and achievement. Status and achievement. And what he's saying is, come on, let's see how you measure up on that. How do you measure up on the status and achievement scale? How, how are you doing there? You see, one of the things that, that, that religious people do is they usually rely on those two things to assess their merits before God. Well, I am deacon in my church, and I've been faithfully going for 50 years, and uh, I, 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 I put money in the offering every week, and I did this, and I did that, and, and I, I, I read my Bible once a year, and, and I did all these things, but I was the deacon. Or I was the pastor. Or I was the mega church leader. Or whatever. And we put our, our, our hope before God on the basis of our statements, status and achievement. And you see, when we talk about status, we talk about things like wealth and title and your position in church. You know, these people who are going to God on the basis they were the, the pillar of the community. They did all sorts of good things in the community. And uh, they, they, they had this vital ministry area in church. And then we, we've got, like, achievement. You know, I lived a good moral life. Well, well done you. Excellent. Good. It's not going to get you anywhere. But it was good that you did that. And then he, he says, well... Um, I, I learned the word. I had lots of information I knew about the Bible. Well, great. Did you write a book? I never read it. And, and we put our, our store in all these things. You know, I made it to the top. You know, in my career, I kind of made it to the top. And, you know, got a nice family. I've got a really nice family. I'm, I'm really proud of my family. Yeah. I'm not so happy with the way that they tried to make me diet at the moment, but I, I've got a really nice family. And, you know, people have rags to riches stories. Well, we grew up on a council estate and had free dinners. And, and, and you can go all that and you can get really into that. Wow, look what I've done with my life. And Paul said, when you start thinking like that, that is the hallmark of a wasted life. You see, here's Paul's. Here's, the, here's what Paul calls the treasure of a wasted life. So I'll just analyze this passage for you. Here's what Paul calls the treasure of a wasted life. Firstly, family status and social status. They're good things, aren't they? That's what we, we'd all like. We'd all like people to look up to us and see that we're important in our village 
or in our community, or in our workplace. Here's what Paul says. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Here's the thing. What he's saying is that only happens in a strong Jewish family. And I was born into that family. I wasn't adopted in. I was born into this family. And I'm from the people of Israel, God's chosen people. How cool is that? And then he says, I'm from where? The tribe of Benjamin. When, a little history lesson, when all the tribes turned away from God, the tribe of Benjamin was the one that stayed faithful. And so to be a member of the tribe of Benjamin in Paul's day was prestigious. They're the ones that didn't mess it up. They're the good guys. And here's the other thing. Their land, the land allocated to the tribe of Benjamin, is the land on which Jerusalem stands. So the temple's on the tribe of Benjamin's land. So we're top family. We're top family, okay? And then he says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Well, I don't know what that means, but I guess you don't get any more Jewish than that. Hebrew of Hebrews. So status, that is the treasure that I had, I thought was important, but I recognize it's the treasure now of a wasted life. And then he says this, in regard, so basically his next one is biblical knowledge and achievement. He was very learned. He'd been to Bible school. He'd been to Bible school more than once. So this is what he says. In regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. You see, we got this distorted view of Pharisees as bad guys, but in their day, they're, they're the most respected religious teachers. You, you, if you want to know what the Bible says, you go to a Pharisee. And uh, they, they, I guarantee you that they know the word better than virtually every pastor on planet Earth at the moment. I guarantee you that they knew it. And Paul's saying, I was a star pupil at Bible school. You know when everybody else gets A stars, I got A star distinction, A star star. <laughs> that was me. I had the best teacher. You know that Gamaliel, the superstar, he was the guy that taught me. So I, I'm doing well here. And haven't I done fantastic to do all that? And he goes, Second treasure of a wasted life. And then he says, I've got a third. I've got the badge. Religious achievement. I've got the religious achievement badge. And here's how that works. Because I was zealous. And I was so zealous that I persecuted everybody who wanted to follow Jesus. Because that's what we did. And I was the best at it. Do you know what he's saying there? He's saying, I murdered Christians. Because I was so zealous. I was so passionate, so passionate about what I believed that I ended up murdering Christians. And he's God, treasure for a wasted life. Religious achievement is a waste. And then he says this, moral achievement. Anybody want to trade with me that they're a good person? 
Anybody want to come on? Come. Let's, let's have it out now. Anybody want to tell me you're a better person than I am? That's what he's saying. And he's saying, you can't, can you? Because I'm top dog. You guys, you think you're good people, but I'm the best. And everybody knows I'm the best. And he says, when I thought that, that was the treasure of a wasted life. So all these things that we put store by, all these things that we think are important, all these things that we run after and expend our energies on, Paul's turning around and he says, it's a wasted life if that's what your life's about. And that, that's kind of bizarre, isn't it? Because I guarantee you that the world would say, if you had any of those things, you've done really well for yourself. And I guarantee you that the church would say, if you've got those things, you've done really well for yourself. And yet Paul is turning around and saying, wasted life. Living a life that did not count. What do all those things have in common? They are, well, that's true. But here's what they all have in common. They're all good things. They're, they're all good things, aren't they? We want to live a moral life. We want to ha come from a good family. We want to have an, you know, be part of a life family. We want to be uh, involved in the community. We want to do good things in the community. We want to do all those sort of things. But what Paul is saying, these things, all these things that I thought were good, you see... Just, just examine the way we think. I think we would all want and desire, we, we spend a lot of time thinking about, and we would desire a, a good family heritage, not from like families that are falling apart or poor families or anything like that. We want a good family heritage. We want social standing. We want people to recognize us. Not be like the person that they ignore when they're, when they're walking down the street, but they want us to, to like feel we're important. Um, that we, we, we would like to know the Bible and we would like to do all the church stuff. And we would like to be zealots, look passionate, make a lot of noise, shout a lot. We'd like to do all that. And We'd be like, like to live for a cause. You know, we, we'd like to have something we're doing and we'd like to do all that with a good moral life and integrity. What's wrong with that? And I'm going like, Paul, what is wrong with that? We all want that sort of stuff. It doesn't look bad to me. And he's saying, it's not bad. It's not what it's about. Do you see there's a difference? Let me say, you see, it wasn't bad things that were keeping Paul from Jesus. It was good things that kept Paul from Jesus. You see, if we... Let me, let me translate it for you. If you translated what he said into today, what he's saying is this. He's telling us it's possible to love your family, take your kids to church just like your parents took you, 
have a good reputation in your neighborhood, a good reputation in your job, a good reputation in your social circle, and a good reputation in your church. Have knowledge about the Bible. Be active in church and in a ministry in church to live to a good moral standard beyond criticism from anybody else and for it all to add up to nothing. Zero. Nada. Nothing. It's possible to do for you and me to do all those things and according to Paul, that adds up to nothing. It's kind of like, it's kind of, I don't know how, how you put it. That's just like, I don't get this. I don't, I don't get this, Paul, because that's what we all want. That's, that's, what, that's what church has been telling me I can have. That's what church has been telling me it's all about. And Paul said, yeah, that's what I got told it was all about too. But I've reevaluated my life and decided that although I had all those things, I'd wasted my life. So if none of that is living a life that counts, what is living a life that counts? Because you've got to get to that question by now, don't you? Because like, you've just blown everything out of the water, haven't you, Matt? Like, if, if none of that counts, what counts? Because that's all the stuff that we're all after. That's all the stuff that we worry about, get anxious about, get tired about, working ourselves into the ground to have. That's all the stuff that anybody bothers about at church. All my Christian friends, they bother about that stuff as well. And you're telling me that it's nothing. I'm not telling you it's nothing. I'm telling you I'm really challenged by this because Paul says it's nothing. And he's cleverer than I am. And he knew God a lot better than I do. So I want to know, at the end of that, what is a life that counts? What Paul is saying is, all that was true about him before he met Christ. And after meeting Christ, his picture changed. When we meet Christ, it should change our picture away from those things. His picture changed on all sorts of levels. He's changed his view of how do I get into the kingdom? It's not what I do. It's not what I've done. It's not what I can do. All that didn't get me there. And then, and then he changes his picture from what does God want of me? Because he didn't, I've worked out, he didn't want any of that there because it didn't get me to Christ. In fact, it got me to murder his followers. And then he says, so how... Now do I live? And it gives rise to this question. How is Jesus glorified in my life? How is Jesus glorified in your life? You see, you can take all the good things from that list that he's come with and you could say they're all good things. But what Paul is really saying is they are good things for a Christian who's limited their ability to live their Christianity to their own flesh and own ability. And that's what he's saying. There should be warning signs. If that's all there is, 
that you've been limiting your ability to live out the new life Christ gave you to your own flesh and abilities. And he, and he groups them all together, and he says something. He says, they are all loss. They are all negatives on my balance sheet. How are they negatives on my balance sheet? Because he then says, because I've compared them to something, I've met Christ, and compared to Christ, they're nothing. Compared to Christ, they don't matter. None of that matters. Social status, family standing, wealth, success, position in church, biblical knowledge, zealousness, none of it matters compared to knowing Jesus. The radical core of Christianity is none of those things and all about knowing Jesus. Jesus is the only focus of a life that counts. The depth to which we know Christ is the only measure of whether we wasted our life or not. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, here's our, I think, basically we're saying, I'm going to move all those good things off the stage now. So if the slide's still up there, it needs to go. It's gone, that's good. All those good things, I'm moving them off the stage. They're going into the wings, and here's the big final finale. You know, like, have you been to see shows in London? And they've got that big song at the end, and everybody comes on the stage. It's that. And he's saying, this is is the big finale. This is the big finale of everything I've been telling you, everything I've been teaching you, everything I've been living my life for. Here's the big finale, and it's Jesus. That's it. Jesus. Just him, knowing him, being with him, hearing his heartbeat, loving what he loves, hating what he hates, going after him with everything you have. That's all that matters because you cannot exhaust the beauty and the glory and the power and the strength and the love of Jesus. And if anything gets in the way of that, it's wasted. Do you get it? Do you get what he's saying? Because it's absolutely vital. This, this letter to, to the Philippians, it just, it's just so radical. He sees everything differently to the way we've got used to seeing it. You see, when we move all those things off center stage in our life, suddenly everything becomes quiet and everything becomes clear, and it's just Jesus. It's all about him. It's all for him. You know, verses 7 and 8, he's saying this, What things were gained to me, these I count loss. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, dung, poo, however you want to put it, that I may gain what? Christ. You see, Jesus is far more valuable, far more precious than all those good things. You know, that's why Jesus says, don't worry about stuff. 
get me on my own. And we know you need all that. That's not the issue. The issue is, are you going to get me on my own? Are you going to be on your own with me? Am I really Lord of your life? Just get with me. Hear, hear what I've got to say. Hear my voice. Hear my heartbeat. You know, do what John did. Put your head on my chest and just listen to where his heart beats, what it gets excited about, what it gets upset about. Verse 13 and 14, he says this. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So this is what, this is, this is he's putting it all together. This is how I've reevaluated re my life. Now I am a Christ follower. All those things that I put my store in for my identity and put as my treasure, I'm moving them off stage. And I've discovered that the real prize is Jesus Christ and knowing him and living for eternity. Knowing Jesus and living for eternity. That's the real prize. The real prize ain't here. It isn't retirement. It's not the real prize. See, the radical root of real Christianity is this. To be a follower of Christ means that we rediscover the treasure that is Christ himself. And we find this treasure store in Christ, the same as Paul did, of joy, of peace, of love, of kindness, of beauty, of goodness, of glory. And we take everything else in our lives and we look at it, we write all the stuff that we've put our, our value in in our life and we write it all down on a balance sheet on one side of a piece of paper and we put a big cross through it and write loss across it. Because compared to Christ and living for eternity, it's loss. Everything, everyone, every goal, everything we put store by to, to value, to create identity, loss. And then we go to the other side of the balance sheet and we remember that we also needed to write across it wasted rubbish. And we go to the other side of the balance sheet and we see there's one thing there. And it says, Christ, your eternal destiny to know him. And we write gain. And we win. It's just such a radical change to our life. Let's stand. I'm going to come back to that passage next week. But for now, I just want to, I just want us to, I want to pray first, and then I just want us to take a few moments 
just for us as individuals to just while uh, Phil and Susie play, I just want you to take a few moments when I've prayed to think what do you need to move off center stage in your life that you've discovered is lost, that is waste? 